The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. If you heard Dr. Alex Hershaft, founder of Farm Animal Rights Movement and a real pioneer of animal rights, on our show a couple of weeks ago, you may recall that when I asked if he'd do something different, were he to start over again, he said he'd go into the vegan food business. Today, we'll explore a vegan food business, a supermarket and potential supermarket chain, to be exact, and then we'll get into finance with the founder of the humane investment platform, Beyond Investing. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Podcast here on Unity Online Radio. And I do invite you to check out all the soul-soothing programming here on UOR, the voice of an awakening world. My first guest is Stephen Smith. He's the founder and CEO of Vegan Fine Foods a huge and magnificent supermarket located in a 4,000-square-foot retail space in downtown Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They opened in March of 2018. Stephen Smith was born and raised in the New York City metro area, and he's a three-time graduate of Rutgers University, BS in chemical engineering, and MBA, and a PhD in strategy and international business. He's been vegan for 22 years, and Vegan Fine Foods is America's first all-vegan market and cafe franchise with groceries, health and beauty care products, and prepared foods all under one roof. Welcome, Dr. Stephen Smith. Hi, thank you. Thank you uh, for having me. 
It is absolutely wonderful to have you. I can hardly wait to go to Florida, which I'm going to do in early April for the Main Street Vegan Academy Masterclass uh, at the um, Balance for Life Retreat Center uh, in Deerfield Beach. And I am sure going to take a field trip over to Vegan Fine Foods. So until then, and for everybody else who can't get themselves to South Florida in the next day or two, what is Vegan Fine Foods? Well, Vegan Fine Foods is an all-vegan marketing cafe, as you mentioned in the introduction. So we have a couple of, couple of different parts of our, of our store. We have uh, our grocery section, which is a traditional grocery store with you know, dry goods, refrigerated, frozen, and some produce. And then we also have a prepared food section that we call Vegan Fine Cafe. And Vegan Fine Cafe... It's more like a quick service restaurant. So, you know, we have a full menu and juice bar and acai bar and customers order and we bring the food out to them and you know, to their tables. And then we also have what we call Vegan Fine Body, which is our health and beauty care area or department. And that's where we have, you know, uh, all plant-based vitamin supplements, health and beauty care products. And all of that combined is Vegan Fine Foods. Wow. Well, I want one in my neighborhood. So where did yes. you get this idea? How did it all start? Well, um, you know, I've been a vegan for quite some time, 22 years. Uh, I made the, made the change in 1997. And uh, once I made that change, you know, again, I think a lot of vegans have the same experience. You become more and more passionate about it once you see and feel the effects it has on your life and your health. Um, so, you know, again, I start, you start looking for, for things to prepare at home. It's a whole new diet. And, you know, back then it was very difficult to find really good, high quality plant-based products. So I found myself going to multiple places, uh, looking for those products and got the idea that, you know, Hey, you know, it'd be nice to have a one-stop shop, a vegan one-stop shop where, you know, I wouldn't have to stress about reading labels because, you know, sometimes, uh, you can pick, buy something and it might look like it's all vegan and plant-based, but then when you read the ingredients, you find out it has all kinds of things in there you don't want to eat. So I always thought it would be nice to find a place where, where you know, a customer wouldn't have to worry about that. And that's how I got the idea for Vegan Fine Foods. I love it. So back up just a little bit. Tell us your vegan story. How did you find this way of life back in 1997? Well, I had just finished... Uh, seven years of graduate school. So, you know, I got my MBA, which was two years, and then I continued and got my PhD, which was another five years. So by the time I finished that process, I was just really sick. I was out of shape. I gained a lot of weight because I was surviving main, mainly on fast food. And um, so once I, I finally finished uh, that process, I decided that my health and wellness was going to be my priority. So as soon as I finished, I said I was going to cleanse my system and really gain control of my health. And that's how the whole thing started. I really didn't know much about veganism or what being a vegan meant, but I just knew I had to change my diet and I just stopped eating meat, dairy, and then I started educating myself, learning more, and that's how it all came about. That's so cool. Now, when I hear your story and that your transition was motivated primarily by health, one is thinking, well, why not? plant-based fine foods. Some people would say you've really gone out on a limb to use the word vegan. Why did you opt to do that? Yeah, well, that was yeah, a very interesting point. You know, I think most people that I spoke to about my concept and idea, 
They all argue that you should not use the V word. Don't <laughs> use V because you're going to scare customers away. People don't want, you know, they, it's just not a positive term. And I just totally disagreed with it. And I think I, I, I sort of felt and saw the trends and how they were changing and moving more in this plant-based direction. And I didn't want to hide the fact that we were vegan. I wanted that to be the, our first name. I wanted it front and center. And that was just something that I felt. It was in my gut and I just, I did it. And it turned out to be one of the best decisions I made. Oh, I'm so glad you did. It's so clear. People know exactly what it is. And well, maybe not exactly. Maybe they just know a little bit, but they walk in and then they find out how amazing it is. And I also think with food, it's a positive term. I think sometimes with people, we really have to work to keep it a positive term because sometimes people are rude online and you'll hear, oh, those vegans. <laughs> but the food, when it's great, which it usually is, is, is really a selling point for all the rest of it. So you have this wonderful business there in Fort Lauderdale, but I know that you have expansion plans that are as big as this earth. Tell us about those. Well, you know, so when we opened back uh, in March 2018, uh, again, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you can have all the best intentions and the best business plan in the world, but you don't know what's going to happen until you open the doors. And so once we opened, um, we were totally overwhelmed in a positive way. I mean, the positive response from the community, from customers, from vegans, and not just vegans in Fort Lauderdale or in South Florida, but once people started hearing about us from all over the country, we started getting all kinds of positive feedback. And um, so that continued. So we, we, we you know, had a great start. And, um, and one of the things we started getting was a lot of comments via social media and email saying, hey, can you open one here? Almost like what you said in the beginning, I want one in my neighborhood. Can you open one in Dallas? So once I started getting all those requests, I realized that we had a concept that was, you know, scalable, something that, you know, people would want, you know, beyond South Florida. And so I got the idea, and I mean, the, the, the fastest and most efficient way to do that, to expand and be able to, um, you know, go into these new areas and new communities was via franchising. And, and so that is what I decided to do. And we've gone through the whole process of becoming a franchisor so that we can franchise and give other independent business owners the opportunity to open a vegan fine foods. So just explain that for people who have never thought about that word franchise. What is, exactly does that mean? There might be somebody sitting at their desk at a job they're not crazy about and they're not sure what franchise is, but they might want one. Okay. Yeah. Franchise. So, um, you know, I'll use vegan fine foods as an example. So when we opened uh, initially and we got the positive response, you know, what you're really doing is testing out a concept, a business model. And, and, you know, what we determined pretty quickly is that it was a viable model, that it would work. And it was something customers wanted and were, were excited about. So let's say there are other people. I'm not the only person with this idea. I'm sure there are lots of people who would want to start a business, a vegan business, and offer these services and products to their community, but maybe they don't know how, or they don't have the experience, or whatever it might be. So what franchising does is it gives people the opportunity to buy into a proven model, bring that model to wherever it is they want to open it, and they want to, you know, and start a business. And what they're doing is they, they license the business model and the name. So as a franchisee, 
you pay a franchise fee, you sign an agreement, a franchise agreement, and then you can open your own vegan fine foods. You're licensing the use of that name and that business model. Um, but it's still their independently owned business. They own the business and they do the build out and that kind of thing. So that's really what, what franchising is. And it's a very effective way for entrepreneurs to open up their own business. And it's also an effective way for companies that are franchisors to expand their business. Well, it's very exciting. And it's also kind of gutsy because you're doing brick and mortar in an online world. So even just one store really, I think, takes a lot of courage in this climate. Do you feel that that online merchandisers are your biggest competition? Well, I, I don't. I think um, if you look at the data now, I mean, just online stores are, are definitely, you know, very competitive. They're definitely the competition. But I think most people still buy their groceries in a store, brick and mortar. Um, now, I know that that percentage is going down. I know every day more and more people are comfortable buying groceries online, but I think most are still going to stores, right? So I don't think the brick and mortar grocery store is going away. And, and so I, I say our, our, our closest competitors are still the brick and mortar stores like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and Sprouts, you know, and they're, they're opening new locations every day. So there's still, you know, a huge market for the brick and mortar retail store in, in, in the food business, especially in natural foods. So, but having said that, you know, online stores are, are definitely, you know, taking market share. And that's why we're going to, we are going to be launching our online store uh, before the end of this year. So we're going to uh, be in the online space and the brick and mortar space. Wow. So you'll cover everything. That's, that's great. I just think there's something about squeezing your own melon. <laughs> Oh, it's just, yes. there's something about going there, especially if, if you really like fresh foods. I mean, it's one thing to just order a box of cereal or something that you know is going to be the same no matter what. But when you get into produce and fresh foods, just to see it, smell it, touch it, get a sense of the ripeness, you know, there's, these are living entities in, in a way and you kind of want to meet them before you bring them home. Exactly, I agree. And you know, it's just like human beings have been going to markets to buy food since we've been on the planet, right? So you can't simulate that online. It's just something about being in a market and seeing food around you and even experimenting with things. So, you know, when I go to the store, uh, you know, I may have a list of things I'm going to buy, but once I get there, I find things that I never thought about buying and I want to experiment. And you can only get that by being, you know, at the market. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's going away. I think, uh, you know, on, you know, brick and mortar uh, uh, stores, uh, grocery stores are going to be around for a long time. So how does someone with a grocery store, a vegan grocery store, find out what's new? Uh, how do we find out what's new? Yeah, the new products, and there might be some wonderful kind of cheese somewhere that nobody's heard of yet, but you must have heard of it because you sell it. Yes, yeah, so there's a few different ways we, we, we stay on top of what's happening, right? So uh, 
we work with a lot of different distributors and, and, and vegan manufacturers. And, you know, so we're always getting information from them. And when they're launching new products or carrying new products that are vegan, they tell us about them. So that's one way. Another way is, you know, I go to food shows. So there's a lot of natural food shows around the country and now around the world. So I go to those shows to see the latest and greatest products that are out or coming out soon. Um, and then I also travel a lot. So if I'm in a different city or a different country, I'm always looking around and trying to find something interesting that would fit in vegan fine foods. So I say the combination of those three different ways of finding out a new, about new products are, are really helpful. So how much censorship do you do of the products that you carry other than making sure that they're vegan? I'm thinking back to a time when my daughter was a little girl and every Christmas time we would make these very traditional cookies that called for stick margarine, which at that time had hydrogenated fats in them. I know that's really bad. Nowadays, you can get kind of hard vegan butter that's coconut oil, still saturated fat. I'm at the age now, I don't eat any of that stuff. But back when I wanted to make those cookies, I went to a natural food store that didn't sell that because they believed it was harmful to health. So I can see that way of, you know, let's protect the customers, let's guide them, let's give them a little training in what's healthy. But on the other hand, if I really want to make an unhealthy cookie, that ought to be my right. So where do you come down on all that? Yeah, that's that's a tough one, you know. And you know, we have we have our criteria, and you know, for what what you know what products have to meet in order for us to to, to offer them in vegan fine foods. Um, but there's a lot of gray areas, and we struggle with it. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it comes down to a case by case decision. We just have to sort of make a call. Um, and, and we're struggling with that right now. You know, you have all these new meat alternatives coming out. Right. So like these burgers and that's like the craze now. And, you know, even though they're they're marketing themselves as plant based, um, are they are they really healthy and are they really plant based? There's even some debate about that. And these are and, and so we get a lot of feedback from customers. Some customers saying, well, why are you carrying this? And this is not healthy and so on. So it's a really tough area. And I guess at this stage, like I said, we have our basic criteria that products need to meet to be, you know, sold in our store. But, you know, when those real tough ones, we, I, I deal with it on a case-by-case -case basis right mm. now. Well, what's, what's the basic criteria? Um, all plant-based, right? So all no meat or, or animals or animal byproducts, um, cruelty-free. And, you know, one of the tough ones is, you know, not tested on animals. So when you say cruelty-free, that implies that the product is not being tested on animals. And, and you know, sometimes there are products that we may bring into the store that we don't know whether or not they went through, you know, how they were developed. And then we get feedback later on that, hey, no, this, this company has tested on animals. Um, so that's what I mean. Sometimes we get information after we've already approved the product um, that may make us pull that product off the shelf or out of our cafe. The story of an ethical business owner. <laughs> it just adds yeah. one layer of complication. And yet I just feel that 
there is karma in this universe and, and the good comes back to you. So what percentage of your customers is vegan, do you think? My estimate, and this is just based on sort of informal uh, sort of uh, surveys and discussion, uh, I'd say about 30% of our customers are vegan and maybe 70% are not. So what do you think? Do you talk to the 70%? Do they shop at your store and then they run down to the meat market? Or are they <laughs> trying to maybe just uh, have animal foods outside the home? Do you get a sense of the demographic of the non-vegan shopper? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, a lot of it for us is based on our location. So, you know, we're located downtown. And so, for example, we do a really big business during lunch, you know, in Vegan Fine Cafe, our prepared food area. And I'd say, you know, by far, most of the folks that come in are regular customers are not vegan. They work in the area and they choose to eat. You know, they like our food and they eat there because, you know, it's tasty. And a lot of them say, you know, they don't feel, you know, after they eat, they still feel light and energetic. So they become regular customers and they're not vegan. Um, and then in the evening, we get folks that are coming after work or coming to eat dinner um, and or maybe coming to shop. And, you know, I think a lot of them are non-vegans and they're just curious. And but this is another phenomenon I'm seeing a lot is that every non-vegan customer we have, either one of their family members is vegan, their best friend is vegan, they know a vegan and those people are having influence on these non-vegans. And they're com they're more and more comfortable with these plant-based foods, even though they may not have made the full transition. Mm. That's exciting and wonderful. And that makes each of us feel like, you know what, we really do have some power to change this world. All we have to do is, is uh, be nice and not hide our veganism and maybe not push it down people's throats either and let them find something wonderful like vegan fine foods in Fort Lauderdale. So I know as part of your expansion plans, you're doing something called equity crowdfunding. Now, I know we've all heard of crowdfunding. What's equity crowdfunding? Yeah, so equity crowdfunding is, is relatively new. It allows uh, businesses to raise investment capital via crowdfunding. So we can offer equity in our business um, based on customers buying shares or buying securities in one way or another. Um, and that, I think that law was passed in 2014 that allowed for equity crowdfunding. And uh, so, yeah, since that time, lots of companies have taken advantage of it. And it's a really great way to raise seed capital or just capital in general. And it also gives lots of people the opportunity to invest in startup companies, whereas prior to 20, 2014, the average person did not, did not have that opportunity. So that's, that's really what equity crowdfunding is all about. And the only difference between equity crowdfunding and just crowdfunding, regular crowdfunding, is regular crowdfunding, you're just supporting a product or a project, um, and you're not getting any percentage of the business in return. Yes. So people who are interested in finding out about that for Vegan Fine Foods can go to wefunder.com slash vegan fine foods and we'll put that on the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net as well as other urls veganfinefoods.com and vegan fine foods on twitter facebook twitter and instagram so when you walk through your store what do you think what do i think yeah, it's kind of like when you go to your kid's graduation or you've built your own home and you just look at it. 
what do you feel when you see you've made a supermarket? Yeah, I, I yes, I know exactly what you what you mean. It's sometimes it's just like, did I really do this? Uh, I can't believe that I I did this and people are here and they're enjoying themselves. It's almost like you know this is what I envisioned and you know you wake up and it's there, it exists. So you know sometimes I'm just amazed by that when I when I'm in the store. But so that's that's generally how I feel. But of course I'm always looking for ways to make it better and to improve. So as I'm looking around and enjoying the fact that, you know, I was able to make this happen, I'm always like, well, I need to fix this or I need to fix that or improve this. So it's a combination, but by far most of it is a good feeling and, and, a, and a proud feeling. Now, I'm sure that a lot of people who listen to this program are vegans with a business idea. And to people like that, they hear that you have an MBA and you have a PhD in strategy and international business. So of course you can pull off something like this. But what about somebody who's been working in the corporate world for 15 years and they don't have a business background or somebody who's been working in, in the service sector? Is, is there hope for all of us? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I'm very proud of my, you know, MBA and PhD, but as far as the, the, is that the reason that, you know, I've been able to pull this off, I would have to say no. Um, that's not necessary. I think you just need passion. You need to have a business sense, obviously, if you're going to start a business and understand, you know, about making money and, you know, uh, attracting and pleasing customers. Uh, so that's important, but having advanced degrees or, you know, years of experience in business is, is not necessary. Um, and sometimes that can even hinder you, you know, because sometimes people with that kind of experience get locked into certain ways of seeing things. And, and I think you really need passion, um, a clear vision on what, what you want to create, and, and have a strong support system around you, you know, family and friends and people who are going to support you. And I think those are the, the most important ingredients. I would agree with that. And as we near our, our end here, what's your vision? Are we ever going to really have a vegan world? I think so. I think if you look at the trends and it's, you know, I mean, it's, where we are today, as far as a vegan world as it exists now, um, I would have never imagined in 1997, you know, so things are happening and changing in a, in a positive way at a very fast rate. And I think if we just continue what we're doing, um, like you said earlier, we are having influence on, on, on people. And I do think, you know, I think it's definitely possible and feasible to have a vegan world. And when we do, there'll be lots of wonderful vegan supermarkets, and uh, many of them will be called Vegan Fine Foods, thanks <laughs> to you. Thank you. That's the plan. Well, it, it, it's a wonderful plan. I'm so, so happy to, to know you and, and, and to know about your business. And uh, thanks to Katrina Fox, uh, with whom you work, who recommended you for this show and our second guest coming up. Good people, know good people, and recommend good people. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I think so often people on the outside have the idea that um, vegans are either lost somewhere in the world of ideas or 
or, or so much bleeding hearts that we're not really in touch with what's going on in the real world. And when I talk to someone like you, I say, we've got it all going on. <laughs> the care, the compassion, the thought, and the practicality. So everybody, please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about the stock market. Stay with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. lovely to have you back for our second half. I do invite you to visit my site, MainStreetVegan.net, sign up for our newsletter and blog, which this week uh, features a fabulous recipe from Neva Atlas and her new five-ingredient vegan cookbook. And if you're looking for guidance along your vegan path, click on the coaching tab. Not only am I a vegan lifestyle coach and educator at your service, but we have 450 certified Main Street Vegan Academy coaches uh, all around the world, 28 countries. And of course, if you'd like to become a vegan lifestyle coach and educator, check out the Main Street Vegan Academy program, Six Magical Days in New York City, and your coaching credential at the end. It is now my pleasure to introduce to you Claire Smith. Claire is the founder of the humane investment platform Beyond Investing. She's a vegan and an environmentalist with 34 years experience in finance and investment at top tier banks and investment houses, including UBS and Allborn Partners. Beyond Investing creates investment programs designed for animal advocates and climate conscious investors in both public listed equity markets and venture capital. And Beyond Investing is the architect of the U.S. Vegan Climate Index, a stock index which screens out all animal exploitation and fossil fuel from a U.S. market bench prep, benchmark. Welcome, Claire Smith. Hello, Victoria. It's lovely when, to be with you. Oh, it's, it's wonderful to have you. I'm so excited about all the things that you're doing. So how can impact investing save animals and the planet? Well, um, I always say what gets financed uh, gets done. And in the reverse, if you withdraw money from something, then it's, it's pretty difficult for them to continue. Um, a lot of people do say to me, how does it, how does it help? Well, they can understand that it helps startups and early stage businesses to put money into those businesses to enable them to get operational and to grow. But sometimes people ask me how it helps to be taking money out of businesses that, that are, are doing bad things to animals that are polluting. Um, and essentially, it does make a difference. The more people take money out of those businesses, the more pressure there is on those stock prices, which makes it harder for them to raise capital in the future. It makes it impossible for them to grow. They have to pay high dividends in order to persuade people to continue to own their stock. Um, and that 
that creates a drain on the business. And the other way that I think it makes a difference is that if a CEO sees his stock price falling, he's not very happy about it because it affects his pay packet. So certainly your investment can uh, steer businesses in the way that you want to steer them. That's so exciting. I think that most of our listeners are familiar with SRI, socially responsible investing, but I can remember when I was first looking into that some years ago, it was so frustrating that even though they were very aware of, of things like um, peace and armaments and human rights, there were companies testing on animals, creating animal foods and other animal products so Beyond Investing is now the sponsor of the U.S. Vegan Climate Exchange Traded Fund, ETF. So for those of us who are not into finance, tell us what that is. Okay, so we're the sponsor of the ETF, and the ETF is tracking our index, which we created last year. In the middle of last year, we launched it, and it's been calculated since June 2018. We also did, obviously, extensive testing on it before our, our, our launch. Um, what we... Uh, what we did was we monitored the index over the first year and we were satisfied with the, how it had performed in live calculation. Um, and during that time, we were getting demands from people to create an investment product based around that index. Um, so we created the exchange traded fund and essentially what it is doing is that it is holding a live portfolio of the index. Um, and so the, the, the price of that portfolio goes up and down with the market and it provides people with an investment product that we have screened for animal exploitation, environmental um, pollution, climate change, plastics, uh, pesticides, uh, a lot of harmful things, not just to animals, but also to the planet and to humans as well. We have some human rights screens too um, and gives them a, the opportunity to invest ethically. Um, with much more stringent screens than I think any other product that there is on the market, because no other product, to my knowledge, is uh, is incorporating animal expo exploitation as a screen. Oh, absolutely. So, what what are you seeing? Can can you get a sense of how this is already helping animals? Well, I think the main way that it's helping animals is by throwing um, a, a spotlight onto the subject. Um, uh, around the time of our launch, ahead of our launch, we had a lot of press comment around it. And around the time of the launch, um, we uh, we were doing a, a certain amount of um, media appearances. And, uh, and and I just I just can't imagine that Fox Business, for example, or Bloomberg TV would be talking about vegan issues were it not for the fact that we had created this index. And they were very curious as to what the exclusions were and why we were excluding certain stocks, which were not immediately obvious to them, um, and the extent of the exclusions that we were making and how, how different our portfolio looked versus a standard market index. So I think uh, in, in, in the initial phases, it's definitely been a question of, certainly for some people, we had some strong supporters that were waiting for the index to launch and immediately put their money into it. I put my money into it. Um, but uh, as well as that, I think that the, um, the uh, media attention around the launch was, uh, was very beneficial to the extent that it really made people question um, why they were holding uh, some of these stocks as well. Yes. And it's fascinating to me that the power of this is largely in what is left out. 
I know that we were looking at it and I think when we first heard about it, you know, people were calling it the, the vegan fund and things like that. And when we looked, it's like, oh, these aren't necessarily companies doing what we think of as vegan things, but they're companies doing very decent things that don't harm animals and the planet. I think we, we so often think about proactive. <laughs> it's what you do, but it's very often what you don't do. Yes, that's that's very true. And, um, and, and frankly, if you were to try and create any kind of product out of purely vegan companies, you would really be scrabbling around at the very, very small end of the stock market, very small cap, low volumes, low liquidity, um, not, and, and you wouldn't get a very uh, sensible exposure in some ways. It would, it would be a very targeted exposure. But um, what we are aiming to do is to provide people with an alternative for something like their market exposure. So something that they could feel comfortable to put um, their savings into their pension fund, maybe their savings for their, their kids' um, college fees, that kind of thing. And they really want something that really is just going to, to grow with the, with the economy. Um, it's going to um, you know, just benefit from the, 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 the stock market returns, but the stock right. market without all of the things that they wouldn't want to have a part of. So for someone who would like to invest, what do they do? Um, the, the simplest thing is to, uh, if you have a, a bank or a brokerage account or you, or you have on your phone one of the online trading apps, you simply go to the U.S. stock market and type in the ticker, which is V-E-G-N, um, and, uh, and it will immediately come up with the price. And uh, there's probably a button or something that you click in order to buy or sell. Um, and uh, at the moment, people have been buying, obviously, because it's new. Um, and, uh, and it will show what the market price is. And you put your order in, you decide how much you want to buy. Um, the shares are trading around about the $25 mark. They've gone, they started at 25, they went down a little bit when the S. They're now trading a little bit above 25. Um, and, uh, and so you work out how many of those shares you, you want to buy for the amount of money that you want to put into it. What a wonderful step to take. I, I for a long time, had this practice that at night before I go to sleep, just think about what did I do today to help create the kind of world that I want for the animals and future generations? And just to be able to check off, yeah, I bought some of that great vegan stock. What a good feeling. So let's talk a little bit, Claire, about capitalism, which is a very loaded word for a lot of vegans. I feel like half the time that I've gone to any vegan documentary premiere, someone always says, but isn't the real problem capitalism? And my husband used to say, well, I don't think I would want to be an animal in China. So let's kind of break it down. Can there be ethical capitalism? Um, I would say yes, but the ethics really does need to be front and center of everything that you're doing. I would actually say that the most successful companies are ethical. In, in the sense that, um, it, it, and I'm thinking in terms of long-term um, success being not just 
profit, profits, but also, you know, the, 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 the happiness of their workers, the happiness of their customers in terms of the product that they're providing. Um, so, you know, in a more holistic way, I think that the, the ethical companies are the most successful. Why? Because they are delivering a, a product that people want, that they can feel happy about buying, the workers feel comfortable about working for the company, that they feel that they're delivering something that is of value to society. And uh, because of that demand, they can uh, afford to pay the workers a reasonable wage. They can achieve, achieve a sensible price for their products. They don't need to go bargain basement. Um, and people are happy to pay that price. So I think it's a kind of a bit of a virtuous circle, in fact. So um, that, that's how I think capital can work in the most ideal situation. I realize that that is certainly not the case for all companies. And in some countries, it's, it's obviously, you know, less, uh, well, it, it can be less ethical than, than others. But, um, but that, is, that would be the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. And I love your phrase, virtuous circle. Oh, my goodness. need to start using that. So, uh, Claire, you, are, you have a lot of irons in the fire. It would seem that just starting this would be plenty for anybody. But there's so much going on with you. You're also the founder of the Beyond Cruelty Foundation. What's that about? Well, essentially what I felt was that I didn't feel comfortable to be um, creating um, businesses around the whole topic of um, veganism and animal um, rights, etc., without feeling that I was going to be um, giving back too. So um, myself and my partners, we've, we've, we've got a commitment that we are obviously funding these businesses my, my, the partners in, in the businesses um, that I have created have all been um, uh, vegans themselves. So we're all very committed. We're all mission driven. Um, and so we, we decided that it makes sense for um, a portion of our profits to go into a foundation. And so I, I went ahead and created the foundation um, just to get the paperwork in order so that everything was all sort of done and dusted. And so that whenever we wanted to, we could be putting money into that foundation. And obviously I funded it with a certain amount of money myself so that it, it, it has its running expenses already covered. Mm. That's wonderful. And you've done something, we always have guests fill out a form and just let us get a little bit acquainted before the interview. And every now and then, someone does what you've done, and you've added five fun facts. <laughs> and you've had a private pilot's license since 1993. You write and record songs, including one that you hope to use as a charity record to save animals. You once camped on the island at the top of Victoria Falls, and when both the outboard motors on the boat to get off failed, she had to walk across the top of the falls to safety. My goodness, you are an adventurous being. Well, I, I, I didn't necessarily bargain for that to happen. That wasn't my intention. But, you know, needs, needs must. We had to get off the island somehow. Um, and uh, fortunately, uh, it was not um, the highest water on the falls. And so at the top of the falls, and <laughs> knowing this intimately now, um, some of the uh, rock is, uh, gets a little bit sort of um, abraded, eroded, 
And so you could kind of do stepping stones across the, 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 the top of the falls at that time because it was not high water. There'd not been a lot of rain. So it was not a gushing river over the top. So we could basically step across, um, you know, the, the, the stones that had not been eroded. But it was it was a scary experience. I, I, I would I would say it was a scary experience because you're looking to the right of you and it's just straight down and, and just a, a steaming, boiling pool of water at the bottom where, where the water water is left. Well, I guess it was always in the cards that you would be fine because you have this important work to do. So tell us about the songs, especially this one for animals. Yes, uh, I mean, it's not the first song that I've written. I've been writing songs since uh, at least the last 10 years. And I was involved in music before that, but, but really just sort of singing and, and, and playing music that somebody else had written, let's say. Um, sometimes, you know, workshops and things like that. Um, but then I decided, to, I, I, I started writing um, and I, uh, I, I, you know, was writing words. And, and music and putting it together and uh, started to do some small amounts of recording at, at home. And then I uh, did some uh, singing uh, uh, lessons, I suppose, with, a, with somebody who's a musical director. And, uh, and he, he helped me arrange some of the music that I had written. And, uh, and, I, and I recorded some of those, uh, some of those uh, songs in a, a studio. So one of these songs that I recorded was about was about the, the situation of animals and our relationship with animals. Um, and after I'd recorded that song, I thought, you know, it's, I, I would like people to, to hear this song, but I don't know that I necessarily want, people, want, want other people to hear my voice. I think that this song could be developed and it would be nice to have some really professional people um, singing this song and ideally to create something along the lines of, uh, if you remember Bob Geldof in the 1980s, and he put together uh, a song with a Band-Aid um, called Do You Know It's Christmas, which was yes. a, I think, over 30 or so different musicians and artists at the time. And then, of course, uh, there was the, the We Are The World, the, which was the U.S. version. Um, and, uh, well, in, in, a song with the same purpose, let's say, which is a different song. And then, of course, there were the Live Aid concerts. And I was thinking that with all the people that are getting into veganism now, I, I, I think that we need a song. We need something that people can sing if they're on demos or, um, you know, outside a slaughterhouse or, you know, doing these kind of um, activism. I think it, it would be great if people did have a song to sing as well. So um, since my own, you know, version of the song, which I recorded um, with my own not great singing voice, I don't claim to be. A fantastic singer at all. I'm just a very average amateur kind of singer. But I did give that to uh, a singer-songwriter in London who I was introduced to by a friend, and he's done some more work on it. And we now have a quite a decent version that is properly produced that he has sung, which we could present to, um, to artists. So if there are any artists out there that would be interested to hear the song and to, to take part, then you know, it would be just wonderful to hear from them. Well, my first thought is Jerome Flynn. Do you know Jerome Flynn? He played Braun on um, Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah, yes, he yes. was on our show not long ago. He started as a singer. He has an exquisite oh. voice. So 
just a thought. Oh. <laughs> Somebody who needs to see your song. Always good to do some networking and connecting on the Main Street Vegan program. So um, everybody, I want to be sure that you know how to find Beyond Investing. The website is beyondinvesting.com. It's Beyond Investing on Facebook and Instagram, and we will put all the URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So Claire, I want to ask you about women and investing and perhaps more broadly women and money certainly more women now are working in finance than ever in history but i think there are still a lot of people of our gender who just feel that that's intimidating in some way what advice can you offer Yes, I do think that women, and, and, and you know, I, I count, obviously I am a woman myself, and I, I, I don't think that I've necessarily always been so great with the, with, with the management of my money, um, either, you know, on a personal basis, I've, I've often been a little bit too risk averse, um, and um, I think that women in general are just a little bit scared of, of money, and they don't, they don't understand the power of money, and they don't necessarily um you know, read about what's going on in the financial markets, unless they're obviously doing that as a, as a career. But often, I mean, people in the financial markets and women, maybe they want to do it as their day job, but they don't want to think about it so much when they when they get home or at the weekends, they want to get on with other parts of their, of their life. So um, I do think that women just generally, and this is horrible sweeping generalization, but they do think a lot less about money than the men. Maybe they are less... Um, Interested in money as, uh, as, a, as, a, as a means of valuing themselves or their status, whereas I think with men, I think men are much, well, they're certainly known to be much more um, skilled or, or, or persistent negotiators in terms of their salary packages and their bonuses, etc. So they're much more motivated by money. And when they get money, they, they know what they want to do with it. And a lot of it has to do with status. I think with women, they have less of that motivation, but they're more altruistic, possibly. And so that issue, that question that you asked me before about capitalism, you know, is it a dirty word? I think that's another reason that women maybe have become, have been less involved in finance and investment because they felt that it was a little grubby um, and that there were more sort of aesthetic things that they might get involved with. I remember Carrie in Sex and the City with her huge collection of the Manolo Blahnik shoes, but mm -hmm. no money in the, in, the, in the bank, you know? And I think that women just find many other things that they prefer to collect and they find beautiful, whereas, you know, getting excited about your bank statement, you know, is, is kind of a bit weird. <laughs> but I would certainly encourage women to realize the power of their money and the fact that, as you said, you do create with your consumption and also with the um, way that you invest, you are creating the world that you want to live in. And try and think about it from that perspective, not so much about money being sort of a, you know, a dirty word and, and that, um, you know, thinking too much about money is like avarice or, or, or something like that. But think about how you're using your money, because if you're not using your money to the good, somebody else is maybe using it to the bad. So you need to pitch in. I love that. And I love you. You've said twice the power of money. Explain to us the power of money. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I mean, I think you need a psychologist for this one. But um Yes, I mean, money is a human artifact, but 
well, like Liza Manelli said, money makes the world go round. <laughs> um, and money talks. And in the human world, um, you know, in the animal world, way, 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 way back in the, in the dim distant past, it was like, uh, you know, the biggest the alpha male or the alpha female or the whatever, the boss of the, you know, tribe or the, 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 the group um, was, was uh, um, you know, a function of other things. But now, since we created money, you know, from shells and all the rest of things, now we have a monetary system which is very, very complicated. It's completely global. Um, and uh, every, everybody, everybody is a part of it, and people's power and influence is directly, apart from very, very few exceptions of you know famous people that maybe don't have so much money, but uh, almost everybody else, their power and influence is a function of the amount of money that they have. And if there was anything wrong with the capitalist system, it's that I feel that um, the amount of money that people have is very well, often not a function of merit. There are people that have money that have maybe not really done anything to deserve to, to, to earn that money. They've inherited it. They've, you know, they, they've acquired it in, in some way where they haven't necessarily had to do anything, but they have acquired with that money quite a lot of power. And so they, they have a responsibility towards those people that haven't got so much money to use that money wisely. So, um, yes, so I think there is a lot of power in money and, and money itself is not bad or good, but it's what people do with it that is important. It is indeed. Oh, my goodness, that's beautiful. Very, very quickly, in just our last minute, you have another thing going on. You uh, co-founded with IT strategist Dinesh Kothar Beyond Animal Integrated Digital Platform to accelerate the growth of the global vegan economy, which in itself is an amazing phrase and a wonderful concept. Can you tell us quickly about that? Very quickly, yes. We got together early part of last year, discussed it throughout last year, put together a concept, a design for the thing. He is uh, programming the latest version of this. And the idea is basically that everybody who wants the vegan economy to grow and the economy that's based around the use of animals to reduce needs to get on the platform. Our, our plan is to have a community management, but also to allow funding of all types of businesses, large and small, which are providing services which are based around not using animals, providing vegan alternatives, easy places to go and get snacks, restaurants, clothing, um, all through the value chain to join the platform, get together, and we all work together to make this a reality. You have excited me, Claire Smith, of Beyond Investing, and you've given me a lot of hope, and I'm sure you've done that for our listeners as well. So thanks so much for being on the program today, and thanks also to Dr. Stephen Smith of Vegan Fine Foods. Be blessed, be happy, be healthy, be vegan. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.